The first product took many goes to get right. I think I had four or five attempts at it before I got it working. It was in part me understanding kind of the sharp edges of the problem, but also just trying to find technologies that were going to help me solve it. There are probably three main dimensions that that we still think about today, and I certainly thought about in the early stages. Security being the obvious one, performance, and then the final trade-off is what kinds of search capabilities can you make? My name is Dan Draper. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Cypherstash. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Dan Draper created a way for you to encrypt your data and enable blazing fast search. All this and more on Code Story. Dan Draper is from South Australia, specifically Adelaide, but his family now lives in Sydney. Interestingly, he does not drink Foster's beer, which is not surprising, and doesn't know what a bloomin' onion is. Outside of tech, he's been a lifelong martial artist. He finds that there's an overlap between coding and martial arts, as they are very technical, require a lot of solo focus, and, jokingly, you have to be ready to take a beating. Five years ago, Dan got the idea of his current venture while he was a CTO at Expert360. He was approached by his clients as they demanded proof of how his organization was protecting their data. He was never fully satisfied with the answers they gave those clients. He desired to bridge the worlds between encrypted data and queryable information. This is the creation story of Cypherstash. The Cypherstash, we think of it as the solution to the final reason why a developer wouldn't use encryption in their application. So let's unpack that. Application-level encryption, or field-level encryption as we call it, um, is one of the best ways to protect data in an application. Not talking about you know encryption at rest, encrypting the file system. I'm talking about encrypting records in a database column with keys that only your application knows. Now, that's a great piece of technology. There's plenty of open source libraries that do that. The challenge, of course, is when you implement field-level encryption, you lose a whole swag of capabilities. So, for example, Ruby on Rails in version 7 introduced this idea of active record encryption, which does that for, for active record models. If I was to use that technology to encrypt say, an email address or, a, or somebody's name or date of birth, I can no longer do queries on those, those fields. So if I wanted to look up somebody by their email address or part of their email address, like a partial text match search, or I wanted to order people by their first name on a, say, a dashboard or something like that, none of those queries are possible anymore. And so Cypherstash is the solution to that. Cypherstash is what we call a searchable encrypted index that sits on top of your existing application and database uh, and provides a way for you to index your encrypted data using an encrypted index so that you can perform encrypted searches of your data. It's very fast. It's very easy to add to your application. And we find it is really that that removes the final blocker for developers using encryption in their applications. Cypherstash, or the idea for Cypherstash, was born 
Uh, a few years ago, I've been working on this problem for about five years now, when I was the CTO for an organization here in Australia called Expert360. We were selling to large corporates, some of the biggest companies in Australia. They were asking us to prove to them how we were protecting their data, the data that they were giving us responsibility for. And frankly, I was never fully satisfied with the answers that we were giving. And it was certainly not a reflection of the team or the company. It was more a reflection of the, the available technology. We wanted to be able to encrypt this data. But as soon as we did that, we were not able to, to query it. We weren't able to implement encryption and retain application functionality that we needed. And so this sparked the journey for me. I, I went and studied at Stanford. I did their graduate course in cryptography. Um, I found some researchers. One paper in particular that, that sparked a lot of interest for me was from some researchers at Stanford in 2016. They, they published a paper called uh, Order Revealing Encryption, which was a really interesting new form of, of searchable uh, encryption technology. It was very, very difficult to apply to traditional databases. And so I spent the next three years trying to work out how to apply that to a, a B-tree or an inverted index. And eventually in 2020, I, I came up with a working prototype, raised some, some funds off the back of that prototype. Uh, now I'm very fortunate to have an incredible team around me and together we're building out the platform that is now known as Cyphersdash. Tell me about the MVP. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life, that first product you built? The first product took many goes to get right. I think I had four or five attempts at it before I got it working. It was in part me understanding kind of the sharp edges of the problem, but also just trying to find technologies that were going to help me solve it. The technology that I ended up using for the, uh, the prototype was originally based on PostgreSQL as a database. I wrote a bunch of custom extensions or plugins for, for Postgres written in C. The underlying cryptography library was originally written in C. Nowadays, it's written in Rust. And the, we added a, I added a bunch of application layers on top of that, and they were all written in Elixir. You know, writing a high-performance data service, many of the characteristics of Elixir and, and the Beam virtual machine made, made sense for this kind of problem. Supervision trees and high availability and so forth. We're gradually moving more and more of that code to Rust, but certainly in the early days, uh, Elixir and C were the, my go-to tools. When building an MVP, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around, you know, tech debt or feature cut or scope, you know, minimization. What's that? What's the, you know, the most impactful thing we can build in the beginning and how fast can we build it? Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with those decisions. I think the interesting one for Cyphersdash is it is a very clear set of trade-offs. There are probably three main dimensions that, that we still think about today, and I certainly thought about in the early stages. Security being the obvious one, you know, how secure is it? What trade-offs are you making that might reduce security or improve security? Performance, sometimes we think of security and performance being at odds with each other, and certainly that is true in most systems, and it is true in Cyphersdash as well, to an extent. And then the final trade-off is what kinds of search capabilities can you make? How accurate is your free text search? Can you do range queries? Can you do joins and grouping and all those kinds of things? And so I was looking at all three of these dimensions and trying to find the fastest way to, to build something that was pretty fast, as secure as I could make it, and supported a number of different query operations. Okay, so from that point, 
you've got your MVP, you've made your decisions, and and it's working. How have you progressed the product, or how did you progress the product from there, and how have you matured it? And I'm curious how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or address with for Stash. I think one of the hardest parts of building our roadmap was that a lot of the features and capabilities that we wanted to include in the product, we weren't even sure if they were possible. So a lot of a lot of the work we've done has been highly R&D focused. You know, the first version of our, our free text search worked really well. Uh, you could get quite accurate matches. Query performance was great, but ingest performance was abysmal. It took forever to, in, to ingest, uh, ingest data because it had to do all of this uh, high, highly complex computation. Part of the R&D focus there was trying to find smarter ways or faster ways that we could ingest the data and still get the same query performance and the same security parameters. We're also very heavily reliant on, on customer feedback. You know, how, how do customers want to use CypherStash within their existing systems? In, in the early days, we wanted people to use CypherStash as a primary data store. And you can actually still do that. You can still use it as, as a, a searchable, um, simple data store. We realized that most people didn't want to change the technologies that they were using. And so a lot of our roadmap then focused to how do we plug into existing systems? Do we want to plug into Ruby on Rails? Do we want to plug into Node.js? Now we're talking about plugging into Golang, Docker containers, a sidecar for Kubernetes. There's so many different ways that, that Cypestash could be used within your existing system how we think about that now is working with customers to find how they want to use Cypestash and then letting that uh, define our roadmap. It's very easy to fall into the trap of, we think we know how people want to use it and so we're going to go and build that. It's so important to go and get the feedback from customers, other developers, and find how they think they'd like to use it uh, and work with them to build that. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? The team you bring into a, an early stage company is its one of the most important decisions you can make as a founder. And I, I've been incredibly fortunate to have some amazing people join our team. For example, uh, the first two people that joined, um, James Sadler is our chief technology officer and he's, a, he's an old friend of mine and we've worked together several times in the past. I've been talking to him about this technology, what eventually became Cypestash for years. And I remember him saying to me one, one afternoon over a beer, he said, Dan, Cypestash checks all my boxes. How do I get in? So he was very excited about it from, from a very early stage. And, and uh, so I was thrilled when he decided to join. And then our chief product officer, a guy by the name of Lindsay Homewood, actually was a former boss of mine. So we worked together um, a, a few years ago at, at an organization here in Australia called the Digital Transformation Agency. I remember going to him and asking him for advice and feedback on the product. And uh, we were speaking about it so often. I thought to myself one day, maybe I should just ask Lindsay if he wants to join the company. And I thought, he'll probably say no, but hey, look, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So let's just ask. And uh, he originally said to me, oh, yeah, maybe one day. And then a few days later, he he sent me an email saying, maybe we should chat. You know, as they say, the rest was history. It, it, he uh, he decided that, that Cypestash was some something that he wanted to be a part of. And, you know, now is the time. Since then, as all three of us have been 
in the tech industry here in Australia for many years, we have a great network. And so we actually just hired several of our former teammates. We've built out a really, really stunning team, I would have to say. We've also hired a few new folks that we hadn't worked with before. And I'm proud to say we actually haven't had a great deal of trouble hiring fantastic people as much as a lot of startups do struggle in this space. I think it's because lots of folks really resonate with this problem. It's cool tech. Plus, we're using languages like Rust and Elixir, and that that gets people excited. There are a lot of developers out there that that want to use Rust in production that maybe haven't had the opportunity to do so. Uh, And so Cyphestash is one of the few companies in Australia, at least, that is hiring for Rust roles. So that certainly uh, worked in our favor, I think. So then let's talk about scalability. And, you know, given, given the you know, nature of your product, it'll be interesting to hear how you approached it. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or have you been fighting this or are you fighting this as you grow? So efficiency and performance is one of the first questions we get asked about Cyphestash. I always knew that it would be a factor. You know, it's it's actually relatively easy to implement this idea of searchable encryption over a few hundred or a few thousand records. What makes it difficult is how do you do that efficiently for millions or even billions of, of rows of data? So it was something that I thought about right from the very beginning. And I wanted to try to use the kinds of technologies that, that search systems or information retrieval systems use already. So things like inverted indexes and B-trees. So the challenge was to find a way to apply searchable encryption, particularly auto-revealing encryption, to to those kinds of data structures. And so that's really the secret source. How we were able to do that is is what made, made Cyphestash possible. So the, the query performance, uh, if you think about you know algorithmic complexity as an example, it's sublinear. So that means that a query of a million records can take 20 milliseconds, and that scales sublinearly. So if we, we add change the amount of data we're querying to 10 million, it doesn't jump to 200 milliseconds. It might be 22 or 23 milliseconds. And so it was incredibly important for us as we designed Cyphestash and as I built the prototypes and as the team have continued to develop it, that we always have that scalability factor in mind. It's not an easy thing to, to achieve, mind you. There's lots of things to consider. You can't fall back on some of the techniques that you would fall back on in in an unencrypted setting. You have to think about so many different things in a different way. Uh, and that's been a, a huge challenge, but thankfully one that we, uh, we've managed to solve and are continuing to, to improve on to this day. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? It would be easy for me to say the underlying technology for Cystash, but honestly, and this sounds like, it sounds like a cliche, but I'm most proud of the team I've built. I, I think one of the things that I was afraid of as a founder who was working on, you know, really quite groundbreaking technology, I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to find people that could take the, the mantle and run with it. I was afraid that I, I wasn't going to be able to find people that I could give this technology to and I could step away from and it would, would still be successful. I really do feel like I've got a team that if I if I take a vacation or if I'm focused on sales or raising capital, that they will continue to, to build this product in a way that is in line with the vision for the company. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to have this team around me. And the next challenge for us is to continue to grow that team in, in a way that, that, uh, that continues that, that trend. I think the team is the thing that I'm most proud of. 
Well, let's flip the script a little bit, Dan. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. There are so many mistakes I've made in my career and, and certainly many at SifeStash. I see every mistake as an opportunity to learn something. The biggest mistake is, is the one you make twice. <laughs> but I, cer- I certainly think one, one of the major mistakes we made in the early days of, of the SifeStash journey was trying to get developers to come to us, trying to get people to come and work in the way that we wanted them to work. It was a big ask, frankly, not only to get developers to change the way that they work, but to do so with a product that they've never even heard of or a technology that they're unfamiliar with. So I think uh, the lesson for us was try and find the ways that developers are using encryption technology now or find ways that they're trying to protect or you know keep sensitive data safe. And how do we plug into that? Um, it was a difficult lesson, frankly, um, but one of the most important ones that we've had. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? We see opportunities for SifeStash in a range of different settings. At the moment, it's mostly smaller organizations that are using it. We think there's big opportunities for it in, in the enterprise as well. So a big part of our focus now is, is doing very large-scale tests, uh, demonstrations to show that SifeStash can scale to hundreds of millions or even billions of records. We have some more interesting kind of search capabilities on our roadmap as well. Uh, So things like geospatial indexes. We can do geospatial queries across, you know, encrypted longitude and latitude values, which is really interesting to me. Things like uh, simple ranked search. The ability to do basic aggregate queries so we can do counts at the moment. We want to be able to do summations and averages. There's some interesting technology there technology called Palier encryption, which is a form of partially homomorphic encryption, uh, which I'm sure we could do a whole conversation about. Um, but that, that provides the ability to, to, do, uh, to do summations and averages over data uh, in, a, in a really efficient way. And really beyond that, it's about making SifeStash as accessible to as many developers as possible. So as I mentioned, right now we support Ruby on Rails and, uh, and Node.js. We're building out our integrations for, for Golang, for C Sharp, for Java, and Python. The goal is to make it available to as many people as we possibly can. So let's switch to you, Dan. Who, who influences the way that you work? You know, name a person you look up to and why. I've been very fortunate to have lots of great mentors in my life. I think there's a few people that I'll mention, or maybe I'll, I'll mention one or two. One in particular was a, a mentor of mine. We used to spend a lot of time together, less so nowadays, sadly, but uh, he was incredibly influential in my life, a guy named uh, Hugh Williams, who was a former um, professor of uh, computer science at RMIT here in, here in Australia. But he also spent lots of time in senior leadership roles at, uh, at Google, Microsoft, and eBay. And he's kind of the search guy. So his, his PhD was on information retrieval systems. So what I really enjoyed about my time with Hugh was learning the connection between technology and people. I think it's rare to find people in our industry that understand how to lead teams, but also how to build great technology. Uh, and Hugh was certainly one of those people and had a massive uh, impact on how I think about the world. And the other person I, I should mention is a guy called Kevin Rowney, who's a, a, a mentor of mine who I, I just had dinner with in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. He's a math nerd, which you know I really, really resonate with, but he's also worked in enterprise sales, and, and that's a, an interesting combination. What I appreciated about Kevin was 
he helped me as an engineer, as a as a tech guy, understand how to sell. It's been a been a really fruitful relationship. Um, he he helps me cut through the the bullcrap when it comes to to enterprise sales, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a really um, rewarding uh, relationship as well. I feel like I should mention one more. The, the two the two uh, mentors I mentioned so far are both are both men, but there's also a, a woman who has been a, a wonderful um, source of inspiration for me. Her name is Emma Jones, and she she specialises in in helping developer teams and tech companies more broadly build more diversity in their workforce. And she's helped me understand that a diverse team is a is a productive team and a successful team. And she's been a huge influence in my career and life as well. So Dan, we talked about a mistake earlier, right? But a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking maybe a different approach? I wish that I had learned about cryptography earlier. I remember I I studied electrical engineering at university uh, back in Adelaide in the early 2000s. And I've always been fascinated by technology. I've always been fascinated by programming and, and developing software. And I remember at university, probably in about 2002, there was an elective um, called cryptography. And I thought, why would anyone do that? That sounds really boring. Oh, had I realized then what I know now, that cryptography is the thing that has shaped my career of the last five years. I wish that I knew more about it earlier on in my career. Frankly, I wish more developers understood cryptography. It's one of the most important things in our modern world. I know that sounds slightly overblown, but... You can't perform, you know, safe e-commerce. You can't have safe messaging on the internet without cryptography. Our whole world runs on data. If we can't protect it, society collapses. So I, I really do believe cryptography is one of the most important things in our industry. And I, I really wish that I had explored it and understood it better earlier on in my career. Well, well last question, Dan. So, so you're getting on a plane. And you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. And can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? It's difficult to give this advice to somebody who's, who's just come up with an idea and they're really excited about selling it to the world. But the advice I give to anyone that has an entrepreneurial instinct is to go and work for another startup first. I did my first startup. When I was something like 21 years old, I had no experience. I had no no idea what I was getting myself into. And it took me a number of years to work stuff out. Probably things that I would have learned a lot more quickly had I learned from another founder or just spent time in another startup. Since then, I've worked for several other startups and I think I'm a much, much better entrepreneur and a much better leader because of it. If you have an opportunity to to work in a startup for two or three years before trying your own, I think it's going to set you up for success. You'll not only understand some of the challenges associated with building a business, you'll understand uh, what the investment ecosystem is like, how to find investors, how to talk to investors. You'll understand more about the operational side of the business, talking to customers. It's not just about technology. In fact, one of the hardest lessons I've learned over the years as as a tech guy is the technology really, even in a company like SafeStash, which is which is highly technical, is really only a small fraction of the overall pie. 
you have to understand all of the aspects of, of how a business runs to be a successful entrepreneur. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to work for another startup. That makes a ton of sense. I completely agree with that. Well, Dan, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Cypher Stash. Thanks so much for having me, Noah. It's been great. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.